So let's open in a word of prayer and uh, we'll get into our study here this evening. Father, we give you thanks for this time that we have together. Thank you for your kindness towards us. Lord, we do pray for uh, Abby, the Hamrick's granddaughter, and um, you're aware of that situation and her needs right now. And we just pray that uh, she would get strength and would be recovering, that she would be safe along with the baby. Give the doctors wisdom and the family comfort at this time. Be with us now as uh, we continue to look at what we've called uh, Bible basics. And uh, tonight as we look at, look at the idea or the thought of studying the Bible, Lord, we do pray that you would give us a desire for your word and a desire to know it accurately and to be able to, to apply it effectively to our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so everybody's got a sheet there. I left some blanks in this one for you. Um, just to give you something extra to do while you're trying to listen to me and pay attention. And um, as we start, start here, I just want to ask the question, why study the Bible? Why study the Bible? I mean, that's what we're going to talk about for this lesson and the next lesson. It's all about the study of the Bible. So why study the Bible? <laughs> Instruction and in righteousness. Yeah, so what is that? 2 Timothy 3.17? I believe it's 3.17. It's one of those 3.16 passages. And I think 2 Timothy 3.16 says uh, all scriptures inspired by God. And uh, so it is profitable. So, so at, at, at one level, to answer our question, why study the Bible, it's because it's God's word. It's because it's God's word and it's God's message to us and um, it is helpful to us. If, if the leading authority in the field of happiness and how to live a fruitful life, how to live a content and complete life, wrote a book, whoever this fictitious person might be, but if the leading authority in that field wrote a book, everybody would be interested in reading that book. And so we know that God is the one who is uh, really the, the authority in what does it mean and how to live a happy and complete and fruitful life. And he has written a book. And of course, that book is the Bible. It's a book that the Creator has written to man, to humans, and for humans. And so when we ask the question, do you want to know how to live? Do you want to know um, about this world and all that is in it? You need to read and understand God's book. To understand God's book is to um, understand where we come from, why we're here, and where we are going. And to understand 
the Bible. It must be studied. On what we might say as a more practical level, we realize that the books of the Bible were written in Hebrew, Greek, with a little bit of Aramaic thrown in there. Uh, The exact type of these languages uh, are now dead. Uh, In other words, uh, biblical Hebrew is the basis for modern-day Hebrew, but nobody speaks biblical Hebrew anymore. It's related to modern Hebrew, but nobody speaks biblical Hebrew. Um, The Greek of the Bible of our New Testament is what we call Koine Greek. And uh, Koine Greek is dead. Nobody speaks Koine Greek anymore. They speak modern Greek. And it's related, but just because you know modern Greek doesn't mean that you are an expert in Koine Greek. So... um, On a very practical level, when it comes to why should we study the Bible, there is a language difference. Our Bibles, for the most part, are in English, whereas the Bible was written in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic and Greek. So uh, we need to study because there's that language barrier. Uh, Secondly, we need to study the Bible because... Uh, The Bible was written from anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 years ago. And so there's a history barrier. Uh, The Bible was written in the time of what we would call ancient history, and we are far removed from that history. And so if we want to understand the time at which the Bible was written, we have to study. We have to study. We We don't just know it. It'd be nice if... You know, we just knew it, but we don't. And thirdly, the Bible was written in, in a different culture. Um, so we have a cultural barrier. We have a cultural hurdle that we have to uh, get over. And uh, that culture in which it was written is very much different than ours. And so we have to study in order to understand the culture. So... Um, On a a very practical level, there's at least three reasons why we have to study our Bible to understand it. Because the Bible was written in a language that isn't our language. Because the Bible was written at a time that we don't live in. It's written in ancient times. And it was written in cultures that we don't live in and we don't understand. And, And now that we realize that, when you hear that, it could be either encouraging to you or discouraging uh, to you that you have these hurdles you have to get over as we are studying the Bible. But I think it's an encouragement because the Bible is the most studied book in history. You realize that? It is the most studied book in history. No book has received as much attention as the Bible and nobody has yet, uh, nobody's mastered it yet. It hasn't been mastered by, nobody has come to the definitive end of all their study of the Bible. There is still uh, more to learn, and we are learning new things every year that help us to understand the Bible. Remember last week we talked about some of the archaeological things that are out there that people are finding. Some of that is happening as Well, as we speak, people are digging and finding things in the ancient 
uh, world and the Mesopotamia, uh, the, the Mediterranean world, and they are finding objects that relate to uh, the Bible. So that should be encouraging to us. Um, that should, I think that should be encouraging to us. Now, let me talk about the, real quick, the basic process for studying the Bible. So this process applies to any time you're studying the Bible. This is the process you use. You might call it by different terms. Um, you might apply it uh, in a different measure. But these are going to be the things that we all do every time we study uh, the Bible. So there are three things, observation, interpretation, and correlation, and these things must be done in order. So first is observation. Observation, interpretation, and correlation. So these are the three things we do anytime we study the Bible, is we're observing. Once we observe, we are going to interpret, and once we interpret, then we're going uh, to correlate, correlate. Now let me say a little bit uh, about each of these. When we talk about observation, the key question we want to ask is, what does the text say? What does the text say? We're looking at the words of the text. What words are used in this verse or in this passage? And uh, so when we do our observation, we look for words, we look for word order, we look for geographical context or references, historical context or references, literary context or references. We're, we're just observing what is there on the page. Okay, that's all it is, is observation. Uh, then there is interpretation, interpretation. Now the key question in interpretation is what does the text mean? What does it mean? So observation is what does it say? What is on the page in front of me? What does it say? What are the words? What, you know, uh, what do these words mean? Then, then we go to the interpretation step and it's uh, what does this text mean? And the meaning is controlled by the words and the context. Okay, the meaning is always controlled by the words and the context. That's why you got to do the observation before you can do the interpretation. Because if you don't observe what the text says, uh, you can't come up with an, a mean, uh, an interpretation as to what the text means. So the meaning of the text is controlled by the words of the text and the context. Whether we're talking about the historical context, was it written in the 8th century BC or was it written in the 1st century AD? There's a big difference. Was it, uh, we look at the cultural context, was it written in a um, ancient Near East context? Abraham from the Ur of the Chaldees, that culture, or was it written in a, the culture of Greece? Vastly different. We would uh, include all this stuff in our understanding, our interpretation. So we cannot come to a proper interpretation unless we understand the words 
how these words fit together, the culture, the history, and the context. And if you, if you can only remember one thing about interpretation, remember this. Context is king. Context is king. If we would read verses in the Bible in the context in which they appear, then many of the questions that we have about what does this verse mean would be solved by looking at the context. Almost every biblical difficulty can be solved just by reading the entire context. So context, context, context. Context is king. You know, um, you repeat things to emphasize them. You repeat things to emphasize them. You repeat things to emphasize them. So context, context, context. The third step is correlation. Generally, we're not as familiar with correlation as we are observation, interpretation. But this is the third and the last step that we are going to use in our Bible study process. And the key question here is how does the text relate to other texts? How does the text relate to other texts? And so this process is really a check. You want to check to make sure your interpretation is correct. And this is, this is the um, uh, quality control part, okay? Um, this is the quality control. So uh, this check is to make sure that our interpretation doesn't come into conflict or contradict other passages of the Bible. In this step, we are not so much looking for passages that might agree with or support our interpretation as we are looking for passages that would come into conflict, that would contradict our interpretation. So the, the fact of the matter is you only need one passage of the Bible to say something for it to be true. I think we would all agree with that. If the Bible says it once... It's true. It doesn't have to say it multiple times. If it says it's once, it's true. So we're not worried if we can't find any other passage that says the same thing as our passage or supports our interpretation of the passage. If it says it once, that's all we need. But we are concerned that there are no contradictions, no contradictions with other passages. If you find that your interpretation comes into conflict with other scriptures, you have several options. So we've gone through the observation, interpretation, now we're in the correlation process, and in the process of correlating, we find that our interpretation actually conflicts with other passages in, in the Bible. It contradicts other passages in the Bible, and when that happens, you can do several things. Number one, um, your interpretation of the passage you're working on might be right, but your interpretation of that other passage could be wrong. That's one option. A second option is that uh, the interpretation that you're working on could be wrong. And that passage, the other passage, could be right. Third option is you could have them both wrong. You could be wrong about the passage you're working on and wrong about the passage that uh, you're checking it against. 
So whatever the case is, whether it's option one, two, or three, whatever the case is, when you come to correlation and you find that your interpretation contradicts another passage, you go back to step one, observation, interpretation. So you're going to observe again. Maybe you missed something. Maybe you missed something. Maybe you got something wrong. Then you're going to go to interpretation. What does the text mean? Now, when we think about these processes, it's, this is the basic process. And you can do each of these processes at different levels. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But you can spend a lot of time on observation and you can go very uh, deep. You can spend a lot of time on interpretation and a lot of time on correlation. But as we approach the Bible study process, I think there's two things we need to keep in mind. We need to, number one, keep in mind inter, uh, inspiration. Inspiration. And so why is inspiration important for the Bible study process? Well, it is important for the Bible study process because we believe that every word in the Bible has been given by God himself. This means that all the words are important and how these words are put together in phrases, clauses, sentences, paragraphs, sections, and books, all of that is important. So if you hold to the inspiration of the Bible, when you say that, what you're saying is every single word is important. How those words appear in the Bible are important. The word order is important. How they appear in phrases, clauses, sentences, paragraphs, and so on, etc. All of that is important. So if the Bible is inspired and inerrant, no errors, and it is, that's a true statement that they are, then the exact words of the Bible and how they are exactly put together are important. In other words, when we're doing our Bible study process, we are not at liberty to add to or take away from what the text of Scripture says. You're, you're not allowed to do that to make it say what you want it to say, to come out the way you want it to come out. So that's the first thing, interpretation. A second, secondly, is application. Application. Now, most people, most people are only interested in this part. They're only interested in the application of the Bible. They ask the question, what does this passage mean to me? Or how does this passage apply to me today? And oftentimes, because there's such a great desire to apply the Bible, and I'm, I'm not saying anything about the desire to apply the Bible being wrong. I think it's a good thing to want to apply the Bible to you. But oftentimes that, that desire is so great that people ignore or reduce the time and effort in the observation stage or the interpretation stage or the correlation stage. In other words, they, they want so badly to get to the application that they shortcut. They shortcut. But here's the key principle to remember. They, the Bible must be applied according to the correct interpretation. The Bible must be applied according to the correct interpretation. 
So let me, I want to stress, I can't stress this enough because you've heard the statement, there is one interpretation, but many applications. Well, I'm not sure that that statement is altogether true. It is true that there is only one proper interpretation, but you can't just apply verses in the Bible however you want to apply them. So let me give you one that is a doozy that um, I can't even remember how many times I've heard this passage misapplied. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Maybe that's one that you like. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Now, I'm sure you'll recognize it when I start to read it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will turn I, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, I, you know, I, I lost count of how many times people have applied this to the United States of America. But is that what God is talking about. Who's he talking to when he says, my people here? He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to Israel. So it's not talking to you about the United States of America. It's talking to the Jews. These people are called by the Lord's name, by my name. And he says, if they will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, it's interesting to note that the context of this passage is the dedication of the temple. So this is, this is a record, an inspired record of what Solomon tells the people of Israel about what God will do when they turn from God. And so this is a part of the, uh, of the relationship that God has with the nation of Israel. And in Deuteronomy... One of the things that we find in Deuteronomy is this uh, section on blessings and cursings. If you will obey, I will bless you. If you don't obey me, I will curse you. And so this fits right into that overall context that is talking about Israel. Furthermore, it says here, and will forgive their sins and heal their land. It doesn't say I will heal their nation. It says, I'll heal their land. You see, when the children of Israel disobeyed God, it had a direct effect upon the land, the ground where they were at. If they obeyed God, he blessed them. The ground would provide an abundance for them. If they disobeyed, the ground was cursed. Plagues, famine, all sorts of things the ground wouldn't produce. So this is just one of those passages that is a standout for misapplication of the Bible because the application there has to go along with the meaning. And, and so we can apply this today to the nation of Israel. If they would turn to God, God would bless them. Now I want to talk about the levels and ways of study here very quickly. The levels and ways of study. Now when it comes to studying the Bible, we can we understand that not everybody's going to be a biblical scholar. Uh, however, 
None of us have been called, I don't think, to be a biblical scholar, but we have been called to know the Bible and be faithful to what we know. So let me talk real quick about the levels of study. Uh, the levels of study is very simple. It is basic to advanced. So that's a spectrum. Okay, that's a spectrum. But that's the ends of the spectrum. Basic on one end and advanced. It can be very advanced on uh, the other end. And then there's ways to study the Bible. There's ways to study the Bible. And I'm going to suggest to you three main ways to study the Bible. First is what I call exegetically. That's a fancy word that just means you're getting out what's in the text. As you study, you're drawing out of the text. You're not reading into the text. You're drawing out of the text. And by the exegetical way of studying the Bible, you're studying a passage at a time, you're studying the words very closely, the thought flow of the passage, how the context relates, and all that. It's, it, you might just think of it as a uh, passage by passage, section by section, book by book study of the Bible. You just go systematically through each line of a, of a book and study it. So I'm going to call that the exegetical study. That is the basic way. That is the foundational way of studying the Bible. Uh, secondly is a topical study. Now under the heading of topical study, you, you can fit doctrinal studies, word studies, any topic that you find in the Bible, it's a topical study and where you trace this topic through the Bible and then you kind of categorize it and to its basic uses and meanings. And thirdly is the biographical study, studying the life of David, the life of Christ. Um, in, our, in our next thing that we're going to do on Thursday nights, where we're basically going to be looking at First and Second Kings, it's really going to be something of a biographical study of the kings of the Jews. That's, that's really what First and Second Kings are. Um, and so it's a, going to be a mix of an exegetical study and a topical uh, study. Uh, and, and so that's just the, the levels of study and the ways of, of study. So now I want to get in more in depth here into the levels of Bible study, the levels of Bible study. So again, I said these were on a spectrum, so I'm going to mention three levels of Bible study, but there's more than that. This is just a spectrum. This is a, a basic view of Bible study. And so we're going to start with the basic study first. Um, the basic study first. What, what do you need? What do you need to begin studying the Bible? What do you need to begin with? So we're going to look at the materials and the process here real quick. The materials and the process. So the materials, what do, you, what do you need materially for studying uh, the Bible? Well, you need a Bible. <laughs> you need a concordance. And you need a notebook. You're going to need a Bible. You're going to need a concordance and a notebook. So let's talk about the Bible that you need. And here's some questions that come up with 
studying the Bible is, well, what translation of the Bible should I use? Should I have a study Bible or should I just use a standard text Bible? Um, what do I need to start studying the Bible? So let me talk to you about choosing a translation here real quick. And I've said this before, so I'm going to go kind of fast. But uh, there are three criteria for choosing a translation of the Bible to use as your study Bible. Uh, first, it must be accurate. Uh, we define accuracy by how closely the translation follows the vocabulary and grammar of the original languages of the Hebrew and the Greek. So a, a Bible is very accurate if it follows very closely the Hebrew and the Greek grammar and vocabulary. Secondly, though, is understandability. Understandability. Uh, we can define understandability by how, how, by how well the translation communicates the meaning of the original languages and how well we understand those words we are reading. So understandable has two aspects. How well does the translation communicate the original language meaning? And how well do we understand what we're reading in, in the text? Then thirdly, availability. Availability. So you can have the most accurate Bible, the most understanding Bible in the world, but if you can't get a hold of it, it doesn't do you any good. Okay, so it's got to be available. And thankfully, there's tons of good translations that are available. So, the, so availability, while it's a criteria for choosing a Bible translation, it's not really that much of an issue. One of the things you have to remember, especially with one and two, accurate and understandable, accuracy and understandability, is that these two are interrelated. They have to go together. There has to be a certain balance to them when we're choosing uh, a Bible. So uh, let me run through some common, make sure I got my notes here, right? Some commonly available, so this is our third point's not an issue, some commonly available translations. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible, the 2017 edition, Okay, this is uh, commonly available. This translation is accurate, but in my opinion gives equal weight to accuracy and understandability, um, giving more weight to the Bible being in good English style rather than sticking with the style of the original languages. So it's, it's very readable. That's a plus. It's very readable. Now, um, let me back up and say when we talk about accuracy and understandability, you need to think of a scale that goes from zero to a hundred. Zero being not accurate, not understandable. One hundred being accurate, understandable. Okay. So you think of a scale like that. So you have an accuracy scale and an understandability scale. And there's got to be a balance. There's got to be a balance on this scale. 
So here's my balance. And this is totally subjective. This is totally my opinion. But this is my balance. To be considered an accurate translation, the, the translation has to hit 66 on the scale. Okay, to be a really accurate translation. Okay, none of them are going to do that. <laughs> Not precisely. To be understandable, it has to hit 33. Now, what's 66 plus 33? 99. I'm going to round it up to 100. So when you have a translation, according to my scale, accuracy-wise, it has to take up 66% of the scale. Understandability-wise, it has to take up 33% of the scale. Now, you should know that means I'm weighing accuracy two-thirds, understandability one-third. Okay, so more emphasis on accuracy. The Christian Standard Bible, I think, puts a slightly more emphasis on readability, but I would rate it 50-50. So, so on my scale, 50 is the accurate part. Understandability is 50 as well. The English uh, Standard Version, English, and I'm just going in alphabetical order, so there's no bias here from the version of the Bible. So the English Standard Version, I would rate the uh, ESV as being more conscientious about sticking to the original languages than the Christian Standard Bible. Um, but because of that, it's not quite as readable. So I would give the score of 55 in accuracy to the ESV and 45 in understandability. So it still weighs more towards the accuracy side. Then there's the King James Version. Um, so while the King James Version is accurate, it's certainly not the most accurate Bible that we have. And there's no real issues with the the accuracy of the King James. Its real deficiency comes in its understandability because the English language has changed. The vocabulary has changed and even the grammar has changed since the uh, last update of the King James, which was in 1769. So unless someone has grown up with it, it's very hard to get a new Christian to understand that the King James um, Bible English, the Elizabethan English. But I would rate the, the King James as a 55 in accuracy and a 45 in understandability. Then there's the New American Standard. Uh, this translation tends to be very accurate, oftentimes so closely following the original languages that the English can be a bit difficult to read. And uh, this, the New American Standard has three editions, the 1977, the 1995, and the 2020. So one just came out. And there's another version of it coming out. It's available now, but you couldn't get a copy. It's back ordered. And that's called the uh, Legacy Standard Bible. So I would rate the New American Standard as a 70 in accuracy and a 30 in understandability. So it's, it does good accuracy, but the understandability, it falls below the optimal threshold of 33. Then there's the NIV, the New International 
uh, version. This translation is a bit of a mixed bag. It definitely gives more weight to the understandability. Uh, the Old Testament is pretty good, except in prophecy. Uh, the New Testament is pretty good in the Gospels, but is severely deficient in the epistles. Um, so I would say accuracy, it's a 45. Understandability, it's a 55. Okay, and so if you had, and I'm going to show you a chart, and you're going to see how it plots out on a chart. So they're all right about in the middle, okay? They're all right about in the middle. Uh, New King James, so this also tends to be very accurate. It's a little bit more literary, readable, than the New American Standard. Um, in fact, when the, King, the New King James suffers in its readability, its understandability, it's because it's sticking so closely with the, the cadence of the King James. Um, so I would rate this as a 60 in accuracy and 40 in understandability. Uh, then the New Living Translation, the Message, or the Living Bible. And I'll just say they're not suitable for study. They're not suitable for study purposes. They're fine for reading the Bible. But for actually digging down and studying the Bible, they're not appropriate. And also, this is uh, the, the YLT, Young's Literal Translation, if you've heard of that. Um, it can be useful for study, but you can't read it. It's very difficult to read. You, you would have a hard time reading big sections. So here's the graph you can see. I don't know if you can see that real good or not. Probably not. You have to get closer. Um, but there's the graph. You can see everything ends up right in the middle there. Pretty much in the middle. But accuracy, we want to see at 66 is the optimal because it's balanced with understandability at 33. And so any of the translations that sort of hover that, giving more weight to accuracy, I think are okay. So ESV, King James, New American Standard, uh, New King James, I would say any of those are good Bibles to do Bible study with. Okay, so that's my conclusion. Any questions about translations there real quick? Now, this is not all the translations available. These are just the ones that are commonly available. You could go to any store that has books and pick up one of these translations. Now, what about study Bibles? What about study Bibles? Real quick, should I use a study Bible or use a standard Bible? So the standard Bible pros and cons. And when I say study Bible, there's all sorts of study Bibles out there. Um, some are called applicational study Bibles. Those are emphasizing the application of the Bible to you. They're not emphasizing the study of the Bible. So I'm just talking about the ones that focus on helping you study what the Bible says and what it means. Okay, so that narrows it down just a bit. But uh, what about the pros and cons of the standard text Bible. So standard text, this is the standard text Bible. It just has the text of scripture, maybe some references in the margin, maybe a small marginal note here and there, but it doesn't have any of these big study notes in it. So what are the pros and cons of this? Uh, by the way, that's the normal Bible that I use. It's a standard text Bible. Pros and cons. Well, the pros of a standard 
text Bible is it forces you to deal with just the text. You can't look at any study notes. There's uh, none there to look at. So it, f- it helps focus you on the te- text of Scripture. Uh, the cons for a standard text Bible is that um, there are some cultural and even grammatical issues that you won't readily know without looking it up. And oftentimes a study Bible puts that right on the page with the passage you're looking at, and that can be very helpful. But the standard text Bible doesn't do that at all. I had to use a Bible one t- well, in seminary, and uh, for one professor, he said, you can bring a Bible to class, but it can have nothing in it other than the text of Scripture. I mean, it can have chapters and verses and things like that, but no cross-references, no extra notes, no book introductions, no concordance, nothing. You know how hard it is to find a Bible that doesn't have at least some of that stuff in it? It's almost impossible. Um, but, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, and we found some. <laughs> but that's a standard text Bible. Well, what about a study Bible, the pros and cons of a study Bible? Well, the pros of a study Bible really come in where you have the cons of the standard text Bible. Uh, a good study Bible provides cultural notes of explanation. They provide information about vocabulary and even some grammatical issues. And, and usually study Bibles <clears throat> will have very helpful indices, those things in the back of your Bible, whether it's a concordance, whether it's something else, subject um, references, they have those things in the back. So that's a, that's a definite advantage. Now, what about the cons of a study Bible? Well, the biggest con is it's very easy to start focusing on the notes instead of the text of the Bible. Another con is that it's easy to start reading the notes as if they are scripture, and they're not. They're just somebody's opinion, maybe a very good opinion, but nevertheless, someone's opinion. And furthermore, there are some study Bibles that just give you the interpretation of the passage. But the reason we're doing Bible study is to come up with the interpretation of the passage so that we understand it and we know it and not just say, well, blankety blank says this. We want to see what God says, not just hear what somebody else says God says. So that's the pros and cons. Now, let me just, I'm gonna run through this real quick to give you some suggestions of study Bibles. Let me, I'm just gonna put them all up there. And the order they appear is the order of my preference. So the, the Schofield Study Bible, which is the, all other study Bibles are measured by the Schofield Study Bible. But it has three editions of Study Bible, 1909, 1967, and 2003. I think the 1909 edition is probably the best as far as the notes go. Um, Unfortunately, it was only ever available in the King James Version, and you can still only get it in the King James Version. Um, The 2003 edition is available in other versions, but the notes are okay, but they're not not as good as the previous editions. Um, The best thing about the Schofield Study Bible, though, is the cross-reference system. 
It, it has got to be the best cross-reference system out there. Um, the only other Bible that's comparable as far as a cross-reference system goes is the Thompson Chain. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they have a cross-reference system. That's the only one that comes close to Schofield's. Uh, secondly, is the, and, and the other advantage, I think, of the Schofield Study Bible is that it's dispensational perspective. Then there's the Ryrie Study Bible. It's available in several translations. Ryrie was a dispensationalist and very balanced in his theology. He didn't, he didn't have extremes when it came to his theology. Um, the weakness might be in the fact that it was done by one person. So you, you, get, you get Charles Ryrie in the study notes, which has its advantages and disadvantages, but that's, it is what it is. Uh, then there's the New King James or Nelson Study Bible. This is another, I think, good study Bible. I don't think it specifically says that it's dispensational, but it, it, it seems like the notes in the prophecy and eschatological passages are dispensational. It's very balanced uh, theologically. It doesn't, it doesn't have a hobby horse that it's always beating. Um, but I think it's limited in its translation. It, it's available in the New King James and maybe another. Uh, there's a keyword study Bible that just has all the words of the Bible have a code and the code can be looked up in the back and you can look up the Hebrew and Greek words that correspond to the English words. So it's a very good Bible. Uh, the NIV study Bible, which I think is also available in the New American Standard version, which means it's not an NIV study Bible anymore, but uh, it's available in that, that translation. Um, I find the notes there very, very helpful, very good. It's usually balanced theologically, gives a lot of good cultural and historical um, background. The one drawback is it's big. It's big. It's a thick, big book. And it probably, and for my taste, it has too many notes on a page, okay? At the, the notes at, at times overwhelm the text of scripture. I wanna see a good bunch of scripture rather than a bunch of notes. Uh, the ESV study Bible, it's more of the same except, it's like the NIV study Bible except it's more reformed. It definitely has a reformed bent um, to it which is not a problem if you know that going into it, but it, it does have a reform bent. Then finally, the MacArthur Study Bible, dispensational in perspective, has a fairly good cross-reference system, has several very helpful indices in the back, but it, its, it's weaknesses, it tends to be a commentary, not just helpful notes, but it's a commentary. Um, it's done by one person and it's very one-sided theologically. So there's a theological horse and he's beating it every single time he gets a chance. And that's distracting. That's not helpful for you understanding scripture. It's just helpful for you understanding John MacArthur. Okay, so you need a Bible and it can be a standard text Bible or a study Bible. Uh, you just need to, if it's a study Bible, you need to use it properly. Now, a concordance. You need a you got to have a concordance to do the study of the Bible. Now, what's a concordance? A concordance is nothing more than a book with a list of words and references. That's all it is. It's a it's a word list 
book. So in the case of the Bible, it, it lists the words of the Bible and it lists the places where those words occur in the Bible. So uh, what kind of concordance do you need? You need an exhaustive concordance. And equally as important is you need a concordance that matches your translation. So if you're using the ESV as your study, the Bible you're studying with, it does you very little good to have a King James concordance. You need an ESV concordance. And every, all the Bibles that we've talked about this evening have their own exhaustive concordance that goes along with it. So that's not, you can find them, that's not a big deal. But it needs to correspond to your translation and it needs to be exhaustive. Exhaustive means two things. Number one, if you carry it around, you're gonna get exhausted because it's big and thick, okay? Number two, it means it has every single word that occurs in the Bible listed there and the references where it occurs. So you need, you need a uh, concordance. And, and uh, real quick, how do you use a concordance? So if you're studying a word like righteousness, you go to your concordance and um, say, I don't, you found this in, in uh, first, uh, you know, Jacobes verse three. So I, I can look up that reference or I can look up that word. I go to it in my concordance and I can find every place where that word occurs in the Bible. So uh, it's, it's a quick, easy way to find words. Also, if you're looking for a verse in the Bible, this is another use for a concordance. And you're, look, you're thinking, thinking, and the only thing you can think of is, well, this verse had the word glory in it. You can get your concordance out, turn to glory, and then you can start running the references, and you'll find your verse if you were right that it had glory. So that's how you use it. Um, the last thing you need is a notebook. Now, this is for basic. Now, you need to be able to take notes, whether it's paper or if it's electronic, whatever it is, you need to be able to take notes. And you need to take notes the same way, and you need to be organized about it. Okay? So you need to organize yourself, and you need to take your notes in the same way. So you can do observation step, interpretation step, correlation step, however you want to do it. It's fine. You can take notes any way you want to take notes as long as you do it the same way all the time and you're organized about it so that you know what you're doing. Um, these are your notes, but you need a notebook. And uh, so the, the process, be consistent, be organized. So the process real quick is observation. What does it say? And when we're doing observation, we're looking for interesting and important words. We're looking for the flow of thought cultural setting, historical setting, uh, relation to surrounding verses. So that's what we're looking at. Interesting words, important words, these types of things, flow of thought, how the words fit together. Interpretation, what does it mean? And this is based on observation. And I was gonna give an example of Mark 16, 15 but I'm not gonna give that where it says, go into all the uh, world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, that was my example, but uh, we don't have time to look that up. 
And for correlation, how does it relate to other passages? Is it contradict? Does my interpretation contradict other passages? You know, for example, in Mark 16, 15, it says go into all the world. But in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples only go to the house of Israel. How do they relate? They seem to contradict. So anyway, that's, that's an example of a step in correlation that we'd have to figure out. Um, uh, does my interpretation agree with any passages? And you can do this with as much detail. Now, let me quickly go on to the intermediate and advanced phase because there, there, there are not a lot of changes as you progress. So and to be advanced at something means that you do the basics the right way every time. That's all that advanced means. If you're an advanced driver, it means you do the basics of driving the right way every time. Okay? There's no tricks in Bible study. You apply the fundamentals of Bible study, observation, interpretation, and correlation, and you do it the right way every time. And if you do that, you're an advanced Bible student. The only difference that we're going to see here is going to relate to the materials that you use to study with and how deep you go into your study. So here's the intermediate level, and here's the materials. Uh, all the same materials. So you still got to have a Bible, you still got to have a concordance, and you still have to have a notebook. But to these things, we are going to add a Bible dictionary, a Bible dictionary, and a Bible dictionary is what we would consider an encyclopedia, where you look up a topic, it's set up in alphabetical order, you look up a topic, and it tells you about the topic. So if we were studying a passage that mentioned the temple, we could look temple up in our Bible dictionary and it would tell us in a very brief entry about the temple. Okay? If you, uh, last week we call, talked about Caiaphas and his ossuary, his bone box. Well, if we wanted to know about Caiaphas, we could look him up in a Bible dictionary. Okay? And it would tell us a little bit about him. Uh, so you can add a Bible, and there's a lot of good Bible dictionaries out there. Um, they usually aren't dependent on theological perspective. They're just giving information and facts. You can also add to your materials a one-volume Bible commentary or a two-volume Bible commentary. I suggest the Bible knowledge commentary. It's a two-volume, one-volume Old Testament, one-volume in the New Testament. It was put out by Dallas Theological Seminary years ago, and uh, uh, it's not an extensive commentary, but it, it gives you enough there for help. So one or two volumes, you're not, you don't need a bunch. Uh, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Bible Knowledge Commentary. There's some others that fit that. I found, I just rediscovered in my library, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. Anybody heard of Wilmington's Guide to the Bible? Oh, it's, it's an excellent resource. I bought it in Bible college. I used it in some in school. Then it kind of got put somewhere, and I rediscovered it in my library. 
and I was just leafing through it the other day. And uh, you might need a magnifying glass because the print is pretty small, but it's an excellent one-volume resource. And then uh, you also want to add additional translations. Get additional translation. If you're using a King James, you're going to want to add something like the uh, NIV or ESV to it. If you're using uh, the new King James, you might want to get an NIV or the Christian Standard Bible or something like that, just to give you a little bit different perspective on things. Uh, the process is exactly the same. No change. You only have to learn the process one time, and then you're just applying it. Uh, the only thing that's different is in the intermediate study, you, you might be able to make deeper observations about the text. You might be able to go a little bit deeper because of the rule, uh, the tools you're using. Now the advanced, uh, the advanced study. So we've gone from one end of the spectrum, now we're at the other end of the spectrum. But this advanced is not just for pastors and missionaries. Anybody can do uh, this advanced uh, study. So the materials that, you're, that you would use for this are what I would call original language tools for the English reader. And there's plenty of them out there. You have the Englishman's Greek uh, concordance to the Greek New Testament, Englishman's concordance to the biblical or the Hebrew Bible or something like that. It's Englishman's and it's laid out and uh, for an English reader, but it's about the original language. Furthermore, um, in Strong's Concordance, have you all heard of Strong's Concordance? Okay. You know, in Strong's Concordance, it has a numbering system in there where you find numbers to look up words. Those two resources are keyed to Strong's Concordance. Um, the standard Hebrew dictionary, Brown, Driver, and Briggs, it's, all, it's in Hebrew, okay? It's all in Hebrew. But if you have the Strong's number, you can look up those words with the Strong's number. So it's pretty incredible what you can do just as an English reader. And there's comparable things to um, the Greek New Testament. So you can add that. So, and, and thankfully, a lot of these tools here that are for English readers are really cheap. Um, under 20 bucks, some of them. And, and so you can really pad your library for a little bit of money. And, and at the end of the day, if all else fails, it does look good on your shelf. And then, and then you can add, oops, back. All right. That's not it. Well. There we go. You can add uh, book-specific commentary. So, like we're studying 1 Timothy on Sunday morning. You can buy a commentary on 1 Timothy. So if you're going to study that book, it might be worth it to buy a commentary specifically uh, designed to just cover that book. Uh, the process, maybe some more detail. You go into a little bit more detail about things. But... Other than that, it's the same. It's the same. The only changes might be the depth. Now, the ways of Bible study, real quick, there's only three things. I've already mentioned them. Um, there's the exegetical method, the topical method, 
and the biographical method. Okay, I've talked about that. The exegetical method is you're going by the, you're sticking with the words, the phrases, the clauses, the sentences in the Bible. That's what you're doing. You're just sticking with those and you're going through a book of the Bible. I'm calling that the exegetical method. The topical method is you're looking up topics. So if you looked up the topic of holiness, uh, you could get your concordance and look up the word holy, holiness, all the words related to holy, and then you could trace that through the Bible and then you could start categorizing, well, this is what it means in this passage. This is talking about, uh, you know, the holy of holies. So that's talking about a place. This is talking about your behavior towards God, your behavior towards men. And so that, that would be a topical study. You're, t you're taking a topic and you're studying it through the entire Bible, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, maybe just through a book of the Bible, something like that. But that's a topical study. And then there's biographical study where you're studying a person or a group. Um, for instance, maybe you wanted to study the Philistines. Okay, so you get your concordance out. That's why I said your concordance is so important. Get your concordance out, look up Philistine and Philistines, and you can find it real quick. Okay? So that's just the way. It's very simple. But the basic process is observation, interpretation, correlation. Once you do that, once you do those three steps, those three immutable steps, then you can start applying it to you because you know what it says. Okay? Well, that's all we have for this evening. Our time is out. Now, if you're interested, I'm, I'm going to pray, but then I want, for those who are interested, I want to show you a Bible study program that is free online that is very powerful and gives you all the tools I talked about on a computer very easy. So let me pray. If you got to go, you can go. If not, you can stick here. And if you're watching um, on, uh, on your computer or online, we're just going to take uh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes to look at this, this program. Father, we give you thanks for uh, your wisdom and, and your understanding. We're thankful for our Bibles. We're thankful for our minds. And we're thankful for the Holy Spirit who's in us that helps us understand your word. Lord, we know that just because we open our Bibles doesn't mean we understand our Bibles and that we have to study it. But we're thankful that your spirit helps us understand what we're looking at. And so, Father, we would uh, ask that we would not only understand your word, but that we would do it. We would be obedient to it. So thank you for this time. Give us safety as we leave. Again, we pray for Abby and uh, just her physical strength, her emotional peace, her comfort. We pray that you'd be with the family. Give them comfort at this time. Give them the, the energy that they need to be of encouragement to Abby and deal with all the things that they have to deal with. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
So this program is called the Step Bible Program, and I, let me get out that. They just updated it. And um, I'm looking for the... Uh, bumping up my text size here so you can if you're blind you can there's a little button there you can hit and it it bumps up your text size but you can you can run your um, cursor across this and at the bottom of the page you have the the Hebrew word and you have the meaning of the word right there so you can look so heavens heaven heaven sky Visible heavens, visible sky. Um, and if I click on that word, it shows up at an analysis uh, bar on the side. And it tells me how many times that word appears in the Bible. And so here it says 395 times for the word Shemayim, the, the Hebrew word for heavens. So I can click on that. And now it's going to show me every place. So this is my concordance. I just clicked on my concordance. Okay. So you can, that's one way to do it. Um, you can change which Bible, which Bible you're using. Um, you know, you can, uh, there's, there's, I mean, you can, uh, you see, sort of see the list there. You can just go through that list and uh, it has just about every Bible that you can uh, pick. And so I want to get out of that one. I'll go to this. So this is the New American Standard now that I have here and uh, I want to start over. I'm not an expert at this if you can't tell. But if I want to go to the New Testament, let's go to 1 Timothy here, chapter 2. That's what we're going to be looking at this Sunday. You can look at it and, and you can just start going through all the words. First of all, then or therefore I urge. You can look at all this and you can look them up very easily. You can add, like if you wanted to look at the um, NIV next to the New American Standard, you can simply go down and you can click on that. And now you got them right on the same page. So, and, and from what I understand, uh, I haven't confirmed this, but I think that now they have a, a mobile version that works good for mobile devices. Before, it was, your phone was like a computer screen and it was all cluttered and very small, but now they have a mobile device, uh, mobile uh, compatible, that's the word I'm looking for. So, and it, it works really good if you're trying to look things up. So. 
this is, and there's other, there's other Bible study programs, like the Blue Letter Bible is out there. Um, but this one is, is free, and you can do more with this um, than you can with any of the other ones that are online that are free. Uh, this is very, very powerful. Um, I mean, even if you learned a little bit of Hebrew and Greek and wanted to use that, you could use that with this Bible study program, and it, it, would, it would be very helpful. Um, so I, I would encourage people, if they, <clears throat> if they were interested in having a Bible study program, this was the one. I, I mean, the, the only downfall, I think, is you've got to be online to use it. That's the only drawback. Um, but unless you're going to purchase one, it's, this, is, this is the way to go. I would, I, it doesn't have everything in it. It doesn't have every version in it. It's got versions that you probably aren't ever, ever going to be interested in, but it's got some helpful things in it. So this is the one I would choose. So um, I was thinking about one time doing a tutorial on this. Then I thought, well, if somebody's using their computer to study the Bible, they would probably just be better off watching the videos <laughs> that come along with this that tell you how to use it other than watch me use it, watch me fumble around. Because I don't, I don't normally use this. I have my own Bible study program on my computer, so, and this isn't it. But this is very, very helpful. Well, that's all we got for this evening. And uh, thanks for coming out.